A very good afternoon to all of you and a very, very warm welcome. I've come all the way from London, as Linda said, to be with you and um, talk about something that doesn't just impact young people, as Linda said, but something that impacts each and every one of us. Whether we're living in Brighton or we're living in the North Pole or we're living in one of the islands all across uh, the other side of the globe, um, transition and change in the world is something I think none of us can ignore anymore. Um, before we start our afternoon, I would like to invite you to just take a moment to settle in uh, so that we can enjoy this afternoon together. And um, as Linda said, we are part of a meditation group and anything that we do here, we, we start with a minute of silence, a pause, a breather. So I invite you to just uh, sit comfortably on your chairs, just to take a few minutes to settle down. And appreciating the change of scenario. No matter where we've come from, to be here in this room. I leave behind whatever happened during the course of my day. And instead of looking back, I spend a few moments in the present moment, allowing myself to just be. I don't have to do anything right now. I don't have to go anywhere right now. All I have to do is just being the present and allow myself to dip into the moments of inner stillness. And I take a few deep breaths, breathing in the oxygen and gently breathing out. Allowing my body to relax. And finding my mind relaxing as well. gently when I'm ready I come back to this room in the present ready for the next step in this afternoon 
So how's everyone doing? Good? So um, as a culture, we, we tend to make up a lot of stories in our lives. And perhaps even a lot of stories that try to leave behind um, or ignore situations that are happening in the world. When we tend to live in our own little bubble, we, we seem to forget what's going on around us because sometimes it doesn't just, it isn't part of our day-to-day -day life. But I think more and more since a year now, since 2015, what I have noticed is that we can no longer ignore what's going on around us. Yes, Brighton's a beautiful city. It's bright, it's sunny, it's um, got the beautiful unlimited sea around you. But beyond that, um, on our day-to-day, -day, we can see now that a lot of things are sort of just not working out the way we thought it should. And um, there seems to be literally a transformation that's happening. Maybe for some it's gradual, and maybe for some it's very, very apparent what's going on. But uh, it's clear that the transformation is happening, whether we like it or not. And um, as Linda was saying, I'm part of the, the health um, and the, the environmental services that are going on in the world. I'm part of the environmental sector of the group. And last year, in December 2015, I noticed something completely different to what I've ever seen before. For the first time, I saw that the presidents of all the countries, organizations, charities, companies came together for the first time in 21 years of um, talking about the environment. After 21 years, last year in Paris, after the Paris crisis, people finally realized that the life support system we have around us is just not working out. And you can see that the change is even happening you know, here in, in, uh, in our day-to-day -day lives. How many of you uh, took part yesterday in Earth Hour? Anyone? Does anyone know what Earth Hour is or what Earth Hour was yesterday? Turning the light off, yes. So yesterday, um, uh, everywhere in the world, millions of people were asked to turn their lights off between 8.30 and 9.30 just for an hour uh, just as a symbolic action to support our planet, support the environment. And I know that in Brighton, there were a lot of people that did that. In the UK, there were millions of people that did that, including the Queen and Buckingham Palace that switched off their lights from 8.30 to 9.30. And uh, strangely enough, it was um, this has been happening every year. They celebrate Earth Hour on the 19th of March. But yesterday, 19th of March, 2016, was the biggest uh, number of people in the world. It was a record of the number of people that actually switched off their lights, including myself. <laughs> um, I don't know if the Brighton lights, the searchlight was on or not. I have no idea. But I know that the Big Ben and uh, Buckingham Palace had switched off their lights. So uh, it's interesting to see that more and more people are really taking part in this. Um, now, again, what's, you know, so what if everybody switched off the light, you know? That's not such a big thing, you know? It's not going to change the world, is it? But um, I have some little bit of bad news for you and also some good news. Should we start maybe with the bad news? 
So the heart of the problem, and you may not see it in Brighton, but the heart of the problem is that 85% of the energy we're using in our day-to-day lives, whether it's taking the car to go to work, whether it's um, you know just buying uh, things at the supermarket, 85% of everything that we're doing comes from something that's called dirty energy fuel, which means that it doesn't come from natural sources, but it's man-made pollution. And, um, and you can see that um, these sorts of... of um, Man-made pollution comes from all sorts of places. Some of us are aware of it. Some of us may be aware of it, but we don't think about it on a day-to-day basis. Um, as you can see with electricity, cars, um, oil that we use for the, and the gas that we use for the cars and transport, and even farming, everything consumes energy today. And, um, you know, it, it might not seem like such a big thing, but if we were to measure the man-made pollution that's happening in the world today, including in Brighton all over the world, um, that man-made pollution is is equivalent to 400,000 Hiroshima-style atomic bombs that are happening 365 days a year and 24 hours a day. So it's, it's just imagining that our skies today, even if Brighton looks bright and we have beautiful skies here, Actually, our skies have become sewers of the world for us because that's where we're housing the 400,000 amount of man-made pollution that's been accumulated in the world. That's where it's housed. So, um, in a way, what we're seeing cannot, cannot be seen in the, in the Western world or maybe in the UK as much, but already in Europe, in Spain with the floods last year and uh, with some of the earthquakes that happened as well, people are seeing more and more the effects of what's happening to the skies. And um, do you know what was the hottest year of, of our century, or even since uh, many, many centuries? What was the hottest year of, the, of our century? Last year. 2015 was the hottest year of our entire, like, ever since history has recorded temperatures, 2015 was the hottest year on our planet. And this February, just last month, was the hottest February of our planet, 2015. I don't know if you found it warm here in Brighton. Was it, was it warm here? Yeah? London was very hot for February. I was quite surprised, actually. So, you know, maybe we might say, you know, it was hot, but, you know, I like the weather. I like it to be hot. But the thing is that in the long run, when things heat up, when the sky is heated up, when uh, our atmosphere is heated up, then what happens is that even our oceans heat up. And when our oceans heat up too much, then that's when the chaos starts. And that's when, that's what we call global warming today. When, um, you know, different uh, species in the world, animals, um, you know, the, ice, the, the polar ice cape, uh, caps are melting. And that, that melting of the ice caps are what, what is causing the global warming in the world and what is causing the floods in Spain, causing the earthquakes in Latin America, causing chaos all around the world, even if it means just drought in some of the other parts of the, of the world. Um, and um, I would say, interestingly, all this just means that we have... The, the bad news, I would say, as I told you in the beginning, is that we have literally opened the gates of hell right now. 
even if it doesn't seem like it here. But that's exactly what's happening in the world. Now, I said we had some bad news, but we also have some good news. And the good news is that people are finally awakening and people are finally deciding to make some changes. On an individual level, as I was telling you, um, you know, everything that we do contributes to what's happening in the world. Whether it's um, the food we eat, whether it's uh, how we decide to take transport, are we taking the bus, are we taking the flights, everything that we do today, every single choice we're making in our lives has an effect on, on the planet. Um, I was t as I took the train this morning to come from London to, to Brighton, um, I was waiting for, for someone to pick me up to bring me to the venue. And I was just sitting there having a coffee because uh, you know, they were a little bit late. And I saw the newspaper there, the Brighton newspaper right there in front of me. And on the front page it was written, the government has decided to put a new uh, tax on coffee cups. And I started to feel really guilty because there I was drinking my cup of coffee in the Brighton station. And on the, on the headlines it said that the government is finally deciding to make uh, a, a step because there are too many, too many coffee cups that are being used, the plastic coffee cups, and that they are very hard to recycle. Um, the way coffee cups are made, if you see, they're made with um, um, plastic at the top and cardboard at the at the bottom. So those are really, really hard to recycle and people are just taking it for granted when they go to Costa's and Starbucks and, you know, we're having a coffee and let's have another coffee and let's have another coffee. And that's already three coffees a day per person, per, per, per person in a day. So you can imagine how many coffee cups we're recycling. So that's, for me, it's, you know, everybody's trying to make a step to, to make these changes and to reduce the carbon emissions and the global warming. And, um, I would say that uh, on a collective level, uh, as I told you in Paris last year, uh, every year the governments and the countries meet to decide the faith of, of these carbon emissions and to lower the carbon emissions in the world. And uh, since 1994, that's 20 years ago, the, the, these, these countries and the governments have been meeting again and again and again since the last 20 years to decide the faith of, the, of, of humanity. And no one was able to make any decisions in the last 20 years. And uh, do you know what is the definition of doing something again and again and again and not coming to a conclusion? Madness. The Google term is insanity. When we're doing something over and over again, and it's the same thing over and over again, and there is no productive, you know, end to it. That's what insanity is. But uh, luckily, as I said, the good news is that finally last year on the 21st anniversary of the conference of uh, climate change negotiations, President Obama um, over here in the UK, everywhere in the world, finally all the countries decided and made a pledge that we will bring the carbon emissions down. Because if we don't do it on this 21st year, then the damages are going to be irreversible. And uh, what we spoke about in terms of the global warming would be something that we can't, we can't change anymore. So today, when I was in Paris last year, um, people were not talking about transition anymore. They weren't talking even about transformation. They were talking about the word adaptation. We just need to adapt ourselves. So um, 
it was interesting because um, one scientist that was there, and he's been researching, you know, all these different things since the last 30 years. Uh, one of them said um, that he thought that the, the crisis that we have in the world today is because of, of this environmental issue of climate change and global warming and a loss of biodiversity. And he said that he had a realization. After 30 years of researching this, after 30 years, he's saying, I think I was wrong. And I was quite surprised because I was like, his name is Gus Pett, you can uh, Google him. But uh, I was like, what does he mean that he's wrong? You know, how can, you know, what we're doing in the world not be the reason for what's happening? And he said that, the num that he, he's realized the top environmental reason or the top, the top reason for the crisis we're going, on, going through today is just three things. Um, I can't really see it from here, but <laughs> it's shifted. But the first word that he used, he said the top three reasons for the environmental issues and the chaos in the world is selfishness. Can you imagine the second word? You can't read it from there. Greed. And the third one, apathy. Exactly. Now, the, if this came from, you know, uh, a meditation center like us, I would, I would say, yes, it makes sense. But when it's, it's a, a scientist telling you that the top three reasons for what's going on in the world is selfishness, greed, and apathy, then you know that there's something more than just an environmental crisis. And what he said was that we're not just going through an environmental crisis, we're going through a spiritual crisis, we're going through an economic crisis, we're going through a, a moral crisis, and that's what's happening today. So we can make a lot of pledges, and the presidents can make hundreds of pledges to change things for us, to uh, put the coffee cup tax in for ourselves. But the question is, um, are we actually going to make a change? And my question to you is, do we really need to change? Naturally, naturally we do. Um, so selfishness, I, I like this word selfishness because... I was thinking about it myself, and um, I remember a few years ago when I went through my own transition, um, for me, I, I didn't understand what the word selfishness meant. For me, it was more like, well, I'm, uh, I'm working in London, I'm working in the financial city where everybody's very competitive, everybody's into this rat race, and I need to hop on to this rat race if I want to be successful. And that means I need to forget what's happening with others and concern myself with my own issues. That's what I thought we were supposed to do. I didn't think that meant being selfish. I just, I just thought everybody needs to look after themselves. You know, I shouldn't be concerned about what's happening around me. I just need to look at what I need to do. But the more selfish I was when I was looking at um, making, becoming more successful in my job, reaching the sales targets, and I did become successful. But somewhere inside, I just something just didn't feel right because the more successful I was becoming, the more uncomfortable I was feeling from inside. Um, and um, I just realized that, that you know, selfish means that we're so self-absorbed with our own issues that we can become completely oblivious to what's happening around us. And um, 
selfishness obviously led to, for me personally when I went into my own inner journey led me led me into the word greed and greed for me is is nothing but just wanting to take and take and take you know how many times in a day do we take and forget to give you know how many times do we do that maybe you know consciously or unconsciously but for me i know that the reason i was wanting to be successful and join this rat race in in london in the busy city of the financial city of london um was because i just wanted to take and take and take and make sure i had enough before everybody else takes from me so the whole idea for me was let me just keep taking until you know i'm i have my um i have enough for myself but what i didn't realize was that i was living from in a state of complete fear fear of other people taking away from me fear of uh what other people might um one from me and just wanting to to just keep taking um and i realized that yes with that the money i was i was getting from this amazing job i had in finance um i was buying all these amazing branded branded bags and you know branded shoes and i was i was like you know i can buy anything i want but what i didn't realize was that i was buying all these things from outside because something was missing inside no matter how much i was buying no matter how much i was spending going out here and and you know going out there i was still feeling empty from inside it's almost like i was running on an empty tank that needed to be filled again and again and again what you can't buy happiness but tell that to a 25 years old woman at that point that you can't buy happiness with shoes she would tell you that's not true yes momentarily i was trying to fill in that void inside but every time i was filling it by trying to buy happiness then i was trying to buy something else and then when i got bored with my second handbag i wanted to buy a third one and you know the 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 list just went on and on and on and um when we get so self absorbed by trying to fill our void inside then we completely forget about who's around us and and what's around us and that's where apathy comes in that the um the opposite of apathy is sympathy i think but apathy for me is is almost like when you're so self-absorbed that you're completely disconnected from what other people are feeling have you met some people like that in your lives that you might be speaking to them but they have no interest in what you're saying they're not even looking at you in the eyes they're pretending to speak to you and they're having a conversation with you but they have absolutely no interest in what you have to offer all they're thinking about in their minds is what can i get out of this person and when when um when i'm completely disconnected from myself then i can't connect to anyone and that was my realization from this feeling of apathy um i remember i remember this feeling when i was um in my office in you know in the in the financial center in in uh, london i was working for a trading company a, a brokerage um i remember that it was such a fast paced life it was so stressful people were so negative around me that i just had to pretend and i just had to block my emotions and the blocking of emotions the constant blocking of emotions is what led me not to feel 
anything, whether it was for myself or for other people. And what I realized there was that how can I, how can I love anyone else or feel anything for anyone else if I wasn't feeling anything for myself? So my question to you is, um, do we need to really make a change just environmentally or does, do we need to make a deeper change? And what type of change do you think we need to make? It's a question of responsibility. And what, I li- what this um, scientist Gusbet said was that what, um, what needs to shift is not just us physically trying to influence things and change things, but what we need is a shift of awareness. What we need is a shift to a spiritual dimension, to a dimension of being more aware of ourselves. And I think that the, the shift of awareness cannot happen without a shift of awareness of who we really are. Do we feel that we need to, to shift in our own awareness? And sometimes it can seem like a very big picture out there, but... Um, when I was at this conference last year, everybody was talking about we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do that. And everybody was just telling you what to do. But no one was actually being that change. No one was, everybody was preaching, but no one was walking the talk. That was what surprised me because we all can, can talk and we all can say things. But where is that shift of awareness? Where are we making those inner changes to ourselves? For me, the first step of making any change, is actually first understanding and discovering who we are. And I remember that when I was in this amazing, glamorous financial center of London, where everything seemed to be fine, but from inside, I just wasn't feeling fine. And I wasn't feeling fine because I had felt that I had completely lost awareness of my own identity, of who I was. It felt almost like I would, as soon as I would walk into those doors of the, of the company, as soon as I would walk in, it was another Romina walking in there. It was a different person who had to wear a mask and pretend to be someone else. So the quest to change the world doesn't start with us trying to go out there and, and you know, but it, it starts with a transition and a change in our own inner selves. And I would ask this question, do we actually really know who we are? Do we know how we feel at every moment? Are we aware of our own feelings? Sometimes when we? When we come to meetings, when we meet like-minded people and we're among people. I live in a care home. I see what you're talking about every day. That. Unfortunately, I've lived a long time and I've seen the quality of our lives go. We used to have a pretty good quality of life. Before. Even in my lifetime, and I'm not that old, but even in my lifetime, the quality of life, as you say, was isn't the same as what I see now. It just isn't. I mean... Um, you know, when I come to Brighton, it's so peaceful because you see the lovely sea and, you know, you see the lovely weather here. And you see, um, you know, and I, I, 
the, the person who was supposed to pick me up today was a little bit late, so I didn't want to miss coming here on time, so I took the taxi here. And um, the person who brought me here, he, he, was, he said, I've lived in Brighton all my life. And I said, what are the three things you love about Brighton? And he said to me, the first thing is that I love the sea. I love the sea and I love the idea of having the sea and the countryside here. But how long are we going to be able to see that? You know, What about our grandchildren? Are they going to be able to see the beautiful sea as it is? Or is, it, is the sea going to become a, a garbage that we've collected? And are, are they going to be able to see the beautiful countryside that he was speaking to me about? So this is there every single day of our lives. Now, for me, what I, um, what I wanted to find out on a day-to-day level was trying to find out what are the clues to know who I am or to um, get in touch with that more authentic side of me. So I would like to um, invite you to do a little meditation with me, just walking through two questions that I will ask you. Um, and this will just be to maybe for us to find our clues on with this, a little bit like an internal investigation, if you would like to join me. So just sitting comfortably on your chairs, thinking about a moment or a time a situation perhaps recently where we felt where I felt that I've been myself it could be a situation that happened with someone else Or it could be a moment of solitude. But just recently, even during this week, I think about a situation where I have truly been myself. Where I haven't worn any masks or pretended to be someone else. But I've been completely myself. How did I feel in those moments? What were the emotions that I felt in those moments? Think about another situation, perhaps in the last week, 
where I really hadn't been myself. Or at least I didn't feel like I was being genuine and authentic. It could have been when I was interacting with someone or perhaps something I said. But I think about a moment in the last week where I wasn't really being myself. What were my dominant feelings and thoughts during those moments? Thank you. So, as um, we're a cozy little group, if um, anybody would like to tell me, maybe not the situation necessarily, but just the feelings behind the first question. When we're truly ourselves, maybe in the last week there's been a moment where we felt we've really been authentic and real and genuine, where we haven't really worn any masks. What did we feel? What emotions came up for you? Anyone like to share? Yeah, they're completely numb about it. But what was your feeling for the first situation? Not the second, the first one. The first situation where you were feeling that you were being yourself in the care home, for example, when you were there. But a moment this week where you felt that you were yourself. Well, that's, um, that's one way of looking at it, the perspective, and that's what everybody in Paris was talking about. You change and then I'll change. But that's been going on for 20 years now that everybody's saying that, as I said. But um, what I'd like to invite you to explore is maybe reversing from the outside-in approach, you know, you change, I change, to maybe... I change, you change. We change individually. And we see if anything changes around us. So, um, I'd like you to have a think about that. But if there's anyone who'd like to share one feeling that came up when, uh, when they felt that they were being themselves. Any emotion, any thought. I love that when he's saying when he, when we lack respect, we lack respect to everything around us, then we are not, it's because we lack respect for ourselves. And unless we, we bring back that respect to ourselves, we can't respect the things around us. We will be touching upon that in a very short time, but uh, no one's answered my question. <laughs> oh, lovely. Mm-hmm. So in those moments when you were um, 
you were spending some time, quality time with yourself, you felt grounded and peaceful. And those were the feelings that you felt when you were feeling you were being yourself. You weren't trying to do... Yeah. But you don't have to necessarily interact with someone to be yourself. But if you can even be yourself on your own, even that's, that's a very big thing. Yeah. So she felt grounded and peaceful. Did any other words come up for you? Anything when you were feeling this week you were being yourself? Any other emotions that came up for any of you? Authentic. Authentic. Natural. Natural. Authentic. Yeah. When you're not wearing any masks, it feels very natural to be yourself. Now, for the second question, when we're not being ourselves, you know, when you mentioned about, you know, feeling that everything is a, a prison in a way, you know, some feelings come up like that when we are not being fully ourselves, so we're not trying to be in that authentic space. Is there any other emotions that came up at that time or any thoughts that came when this last week we have maybe interacted with someone or we've been on our own and we haven't felt like ourselves? Waste. Waste. That's what came up when we're not being ourselves. Anything else? Any? Judgmental. Judgmental. Discontent. Angry. Angry. Exactly. And it's interesting because these words like discontent, angry, um, waste, it seems that these words come up when we're not being ourselves, when we're not feeling that we're really genuine or authentic, as he said. But the moment we step into that authenticity, in those moments, the feelings are completely different. And for me, in a way, the way I feel is almost like a clue to if I'm being authentic or not being authentic. So the first step in um, really making any type of transition, as you said, unless you're respecting yourself, but who is the person that you're respecting? The person that you're respecting is the person that is authentic, that's being true, that's not wearing any masks, that's completely natural. That's the person that you want to respect, the person that's being authentic and real. And that's the, the first step of really making any transition is actually understanding who we are. And unless we know who we really are from inside, unless we connect to that authentic part of us, we can't really make any, any sustain, you know, sustainable changes in the world. And the, the second step to that is, um, okay, it's all well and good to know how you're feeling or know who you are. But what about um, becoming that person on a day-to-day -day level? Because it's so easy nowadays to get affected by what people tell us. Um, you know, even if a colleague says something to us, or maybe we're taking the bus to go somewhere and the bus conductor screams at us, you know, we, we start to react and we, we just get angry ourselves. And in that moment of anger or discontent, we're not being authentic or real. So how can we make that shift? Because it's all well and good to talk about it, but how do we actually make that shift from being, you know, blocking emotions and just walking out of this room as if everything is fine to really feeling that authentic self in us? Sorry? Change? Change your thoughts. I love that. Change your thoughts. 
stop blaming others. What's happening inside us nowadays is that we're living in a constant world of duality inside. You know, what's going on inside us is not the same as what's going on outside us. Inside, we might be feeling, you know, frustrated, angry, etc. But outside, we're playing a different role. We can't show these feelings. We're blocking them. We're, you know, pretending to be someone else. And unless we resolve that through the power of thought, we can't seem to, you know, connect to that inner being. I was reading this um, this book the other day, and she's an amazing researcher. Her name is Brene Brown, and she wrote a book on the power of vulnerability. And she was saying that the first step to connecting, to connection to the self, is to let go of who we should be to become who we are. And I love that. Let go of who we should be or who people want us to be to become who we are. Unless we, we do that, we can't connect. Unless we let go of these masks, we let go of who we're supposed to be and become who we are, we can't seem to connect to our inner self. Because the, it's linked to expectations, exactly. Because when we are being something that we should be, perfect, successful, um, non-judgmental, and all these things that people you know, reflect on us, then we, we're not in that state of authenticity. And we, we let other people tell us who we are supposed to be. When I was... Advertisers. Exactly. Whether it's our parents, whether it's media, whether it's the magazines, whether it's our friends, or even our family, sometimes they're telling us what we're suppo- how, who we're supposed to be instead of just allowing us to be. So the, the key for me is... Um, is to stop living on that surface of what people want us to be, but really become who we want to be. And um, I call that personally the looking good syndrome. You know, when we're, uh, we're brought up in, you know, in today's world, you know, and maybe perhaps even in, you know, the older generations, um, our parents from the beginning told us how we're supposed to be. If you're a woman, you know, you're supposed to, you know, dress in a certain way. You're not supposed to play football with the boys. And if you're a man, well, actually, you're not supposed to show your emotions. This is what we've been told. We've been, because this is what we've been told from the beginning, that we live on the surface and we become that person they want us to be. And the danger in that is that we, we, when we, we buy into these messages from other people, then we become completely disconnected from ourselves. And the moment we become disconnected from ourselves, that's when that element of fear kicks into us. Whether it's the fear of what other people think, whether it's the fear of losing something, and that's where the greed element comes from. Whether it's the fear of um, uh, insecurities of of, um, money or possessions, we just fill in those voids and the fear, we feed into those fears. But if we really truly loved ourselves, if the duality, as you said, and if we change the type of thinking, then we could come back to really loving ourselves. Do you know what the opposite of fear is? Is love. The opposite of fear is not exactly fearlessness. It's really love. But can we actually feel that love for ourselves? Do we truly love ourselves? With all the mixed messages that we receive in the world... We, we have, some, we have seemed to, to have developed the sense of worthlessness in us. 
But if we really truly, from the bottom of our heart, loved ourselves for who we are with everything, the good and the bad and everything, then we wouldn't feel the fear. But it's that element of love that we would, we would connect with ourselves. Um, at least that's my experience, that the moment I started to love myself, not for the surface of you know, being successful or having a nice personality or being smart, but really loving myself for the inner being that I am, for the inner goodness that I have. Because human beings, by nature, we're innately, we believe in the good. Well, seeing the world out there, we would say, well, actually, I'm not sure I believe that everybody believes in the good because look what's happening. Whether it's the terrorists, whether it's, you know, everything that we see that's happening to underprivileged children, etc. It doesn't seem like people believe in the good. But um, I, um, there's, a, there's a very interesting movie that I saw about six years ago. And I don't know if you've seen it, but it's called Avatar. And it's, it's an interesting movie. Because um, this, the, the reason I went to watch the movie is because they told me that this was the highest grossing movie in ever, ever made. So it was the, the number one movie in the box office that made the most money ever. So I was curious to know, why did everybody go to see this movie? What was the reason that so many people loved this movie? And for those of you who haven't seen the movie, it's the, the story is about this... Um, it's, it's a story about this, this man who finds this alternate world where everything is in harmony, where the animals are in harmony with you, where the people are in harmony with you, where everybody was communicating on a very intuitive level, where what you felt and what I felt could be, could be communicated in a very natural way, where there wasn't any separation between people. And... Um, in this movie, you see that people have lived in a very natural way with, with the environment, with the animals, but they also lived in connection to the divine energy and the divine source. And um, I found it very interesting that it, it became such a big movie. And most of the people that went to see it is because they said that they wished that the world that we lived in today was like what we saw in the movie, a world of goodness. And so even if all of us have sort of disconnected or we've slightly forgotten who we are from time to time, we do believe innately in that goodness and in the world of goodness. So it's about reminding ourselves of that goodness that we have within. And the goodness within comes when we're completely in harmony with ourselves, but also completely in harmony with the divine energy that connects us all. And um, I don't know how many, how many of you have had the opportunity to meet Dadi Janki, who is a hundred years old yogi, who is this short, shorter than me, with full of wrinkles and crinkly eyes, um, and who believes in the philosophy of simplicity of the mind and simplicity in the world to bring back, um, you know, the balance and to bring back the harmony in the world, but she said that unless we connect to that divine energy, unless we um, connect to the higher source, we can't fill in the energy of goodness within us. Because there's so much of energy around us at every moment that um, connecting to, to the divine allows us to enhance our inner abilities to bring back the positive energy. 
And um, she's, she's really an amazing woman because she's one of the few people I've met in my life who really walk the talk. When she talks to you about goodness and she talks to you about peace, you can really see the peace in her eyes. You can really see the connection and the authenticity at every second, you know. Because authenticity for me is, is a bit of a journey, you know. One moment we're authentic and the next moment we're, we're gripped by some sort of fear and we become someone else. But at, with, with Dadi Janki, you know, maybe it's taken her 80 years to reach that level, but this 100-years-old woman who looks completely simple, dressed in a white robe, is full of innate strength and wisdom. And she's a pas- passionate advocate of transition and change. But the transition and change comes from that inner change that we make for ourselves, which finally has a ripple effect on, on the world today. So I would, I would ask you the question again, do we really want to change? Do we really want to? We have no choice now but to change. But, um, but I mean from, from the point of view of an inner change for ourselves, if we want to bring a climate of hope, if we want to bring a climate of change in the world, are we willing to make any steps for ourselves to make a, an inner change? for ourselves. And if we made that change, what would that change be? So um, I would invite you to make two pledges in the same way the world is making pledges nowadays. In, um, as I said, in, on um, the 15th of December 2015, all the presidents made a pledge to bring down their carbon emission levels to 1.5 degrees in the world. Because if it goes any higher than 1.5 or 2, and at the moment we're at 1 and something, then we will have the, the sea, sea, we will have the oceans rising, we will have the floods, we will see the catastrophic effects of what's happening in the world. And they've made a pledge today to, uh, to take measures to bring these numbers down. But they've asked us to make a collective pledge to individual pledges on a physical level as well of making one little change in our lifestyles, whether it's in our diets, in our trans, in how we, we move about in the world, whether it's recycling. But one pledge we would make on a physical level as a donation to, to making the change in the world. And Dadi always asks us about the spiritual change that we make in terms of the spiritual pledge we take for ourselves to make one change in our lives, one change towards the step of goodness, one change within ourselves, whether it's just to um, be kinder to people, whether it's to build the sympathy instead of the apathy, whether it's to look at what's going on inside and um, making the step of becoming more aware of what's going on inside our own inner world, what is the pledge that we're taking for ourselves today? So um, I'm not here as a doom merchant, you know, telling you what's going on in the world. But rather I would say that transition is happening from both sides. On the one hand, we have all these things happening in the world. And in a way we can't really stop it because every country is making the changes. The UK is making a few changes with the coffee cups and the sugar tax and the plastic bag tax of 5p. Um, But on the other hand if we really wanted to dissipate the darkness, 
then just like you have the searchlight of Brighton around here, is there any, any lightness we can bring to the world? Can we bring more lightness in the world and remove the darkness in someone else's life? Because every type of thought that we think, as you said, it's the type of thoughts that we have. Every thought that we have will have a change or an effect in the world because everything we think about comes into our action some day or the other. So if we're having any type of negative thinking inside, that will have a ripple effect on the world. But any type of positive goodness that we're getting inside will also have a ripple effect on the world. So what one inner step, one inner change am I making for myself to bring some lightness in the world for others? That's what I would um, invite all of us, including myself, to, to make. Because, um, as I said, we have the, every single day we are making the choices for ourselves and for the world. So what choice are we taking today? Even if it's a little choice of inner change to bring back a climate of hope in the world. Change my attitude of trust. I love that. Build an attitude of trust. Trust towards yourself or trust towards... Building a trust economy. I really like that. Building an economy of trust. Yes. So, um, I don't know what's the next step, but um, I hope that we can continue our inner journey together. And I think that Linda is um, telling me about the next step. <laughs> True. So the first question is, science, technology has much to offer, but how can we ensure that it does not destroy us and our environment? That is an amazing question. <laughs> because um, it's true, science today is is the one that's helping us to really grow and to develop things. But at the same time, it's definitely also contributing to the disasters. Today, if it wasn't for science, I think oil and gas companies wouldn't have factories and you know, we wouldn't be in, in the state we are now. If we didn't have technology equally, we wouldn't be able to communicate with each other by phone. We wouldn't have been able to... Uh, save people's lives. So definitely, technology has some goodness, but equally, technology has um, a lot of, of um, potential disasters waiting for us. I mean, you know, when they talk a lot about uh, the end of the world, you know, if, if you look at what happened in the First World War, you see what happened in the Second World War, all people did was one switch of the button to... To, to have what happened in Japan with the Hiroshima ato atomic bomb. That was just one switch. Um, so it's, it's an interesting one because I think definitely technology is, is, um, is a tool that we use in our lives. But who's controlling the technology? That's the question. Is it just technology on its own? Or it's us using that technology to for our own benefit. And um, I was just sharing the story with, um, with someone at the back when they started suddenly talking about the technology. And um, um, 
there's, there's this young girl. She's, um, my, my sister mentors in, in a school in London. And what she does is she helps young children to face everything that's happening today. And one of the girls, she's, she's Syrian. She's only eight years old. And she started telling my sister, you know, I'm, I'm feeling very depressed. And I was quite intrigued about how can an eight-year-old girl tell us today that she's feeling depressed? It just it sounds strange. And um, the, the reason for that was that because every day she was going to school and coming home. And because she has Syrian parents, every single night they were switching on the TV to see what was happening in the Syrian war. So she was watching this at night, and, and the last thing she did at night was to watch this with her parents and go to sleep. And the next morning, she was waking up with anxiety and fear and, and you know, those sort of feelings. Um, on the other hand, um, my sister was telling her, well, you know, um, we, we need to find ways for you to feel better. So she started giving her some lovely YouTube videos to watch about uh, becoming more confident as a person. Because this young girl was feeling quite... Um, she didn't have a lot of self-esteem. She was feeling quite, you know, unconfident about things. Because of the worry and the fear, she was feeling quite, um, you know, internally very unstable. So my sister gave her a few different links to watch, which was all about uh, different meditation commentaries that the, the young girl was so used to technology that she was watching the YouTube video of meditation commentaries to help her calm down. So on the one hand, you have technology that created the issues for her in the first place. But on the other hand, if you use technology in the right way, by helping to uh, bring the person uh, more well-being in their lives, you actually use it in the right way. So I think the question is not whether technology is destroying us, but the question is how are we using technology for our own well-being? How are we using it in a way that will benefit us and others? If we're using technology in a way to um, you know, create overstimulation. Let's say when we go to bed at night, we're looking at the computer or we're trying to see what's going on at night and we're using technology in a random way, then naturally our well-being can also be compromised. But if we're using technology to bring back that well-being, to bring back the connection between people, then we can really um, benefit the world as well. So I don't know if that answered the question about technology. Seven more questions. <laughs> you mentioned changing diet to help the environment. Uh, this question says, I'm already a vegetarian, but I've heard that cows affect the environment in a negative way. Is this true? Is this true? Who thinks it's true? Okay, just four people, five people. Um, I don't know if any of you have watched this uh, documentary. It's called Cowspiracy. And it's an eye-opener because what uh, people have done is they've secretly gone into different uh, dairy farms, etc., to see what's actually happening to these cows. Um, I'm, you know, by profession, just for, for your information, remember I told you that I'm, I, I used to work in finance. But as I, I went into my inner journey and my quest to find myself, I realized that what I was doing, finance, wasn't contributing to the world. So I decided to become a nutritionist. And um, diet is exactly what I, I study every single day of my life. And interestingly, 
I made one discovery in terms of health, which was that at the age of four, 80% of the population at the age of four switches off um, an enzyme called lac lactase that allows us to absorb and break down lactose. Now, um, you know, documentaries can tell you one thing, but from a health point of view, if 80% of the world has the enzyme switched off, that means we were never really supposed to have dairy in the first place. Because um, we, as a child, we, we, get, we, are, you know, we get our milk from our mother, etc. But at some point, we don't need it anymore. And dairies become more of an addiction or an indulgence, just like sugar. So uh, I would just say from a health point of view, definitely there is a, a shift in terms of physically we don't really need it. But um, from what's happening in the world in terms of what's happening in the, in the dairy farms and the cows, being a vegetarian is great. But personally, what I have seen is that uh, the overindulgence of dairy has created a situation where there's a complete imbalance in what's happening to the cows today that are switched on. The machines that we put the cows on today are switched on 24 hours a day, and the cows are switched on to this, pumped uh, uh, hormones, and also pumped antibiotics because they're... Um, I don't want to sound a bit gross, but... Um, you know, a lot of the, the, the constant machine on them creates a lot of infections in, in the cows. So the, the cows are injected with the antibiotics. And so what we're doing is that one glass of milk that we are drinking contains not only hormones, but antibiotics and all sorts of other things in it. So from a health point of view, I would say that it's not great for, for us. But in terms of the environment, dairy and meat farming is top of the list with uh, tr transport. So any energy we're using for transport and for organic farming are at the same level of uh, man-made pollution. So this next one is, how can we stop well, waste, wasteful packaging at source, i.e. all packaging to be biodegradable? Like uh, we get a lot of apples now that are wrapped in plastic, mm. individually wrapped in plastic. We used to before get them in paper bags and then before yeah. you just took one big bag to the shop and they, the greengrocers filled it up. So how can we do this at source? So that's an interesting question because it, it comes up again with that whole coffee cup uh, tax that, that the government has, is starting to put in the UK, for example. But, um, you know, even if, even if we were to put the coffee cup tax... You know, it's a little bit like the plastic bag tax of the 5P. You know, sometimes people will tax things to stop you to, to do things. But if you're not going to make the change at a grassroots level, which is change the thinking of the people, then yes, you can put a lot of different taxes to bring down the, the use of, of recyclable material, etc. But um, the, the change, the permanent sustainable change, comes when we make a personal choice to want to change the way we live and live in a more natural way, make the choices in a more eco-friendly, natural way, but not because we have to, not from a space of lack, but really from a place of coming back to making life more simple and coming back to the more natural way of, of doing things. I was telling you before that um, in Paris, the, the great realization a lot of the organizations, a lot of the people had, for the first time in 21 years, wasn't that um, we need to 
do make demonstrations and, and fight to stop the plastic consumption, etc. But it was really to, to find out what, what is, where are we putting the value into the things that we cherish. We, we seem to be putting the value on the derivative of things. So we're looking for happiness, we're looking for peace. But we're, we're putting those into plastics, into um, different things that we're buying. But if we were to shift are thinking into the, putting value into the real things that matter, the natural things, or just things that bring us true, deep, lasting happiness, then that change can be sustainable, whether it's plastic or anything else. Next one is, uh, is there a, a world plan for top scientists, etc., to work out new environmentally friendly fuel? So um, I'm going to let out a secret to you. Because um, basically um, the world, the governments, and everybody has always known that um, if we used solar power, then we, would, we wouldn't need all the dirty energy fuel that I was talking about. Because solar power is a renewable energy. It's a natural energy that comes um, naturally from, from the sun. But governments and corporations have known this for years and years and years. But no one really wanted to do anything about it because they were looking, again, the whole aspect of greed came in. Everybody was looking to make money. And interestingly, um, I don't know how many of you have ever uh, visited the Brahma Kumari Center in India, in Mount Abu, which is our, yes, one of you have, which is uh, where headquarters are. But we, we already, um, everything that happens over there, we have a huge, huge headquarters that can host up to 20,000 people in a single day, feeding them and um, using natural solar power to feed them and to use hot water as well. So for electricity and for um, uh, food and, and cooking, etc. And it's only now that the governments, even in India and Germany, that collaborated with the Brahma Kumaris, uh, it's only now that they've realized that we've come to such, a, to such an extent today that we have no choice but to finally turn to these renewable energies. But the world already knew about this. Um, it's just taken a long time for everyone to, to come and to change this. But governments finally took this pledge in, in December 2015. So for me, it's more like, let's watch the show and what happens next. Let's see if all these people who took the pledge really walk their talk. So this is a different style question. Uh, we wear many masks for the benefit of others. However, do we take the mask off without... However, how do we take the mask off without being dismissive? Uh, and it says in brackets, not everyone understands spirituality or is a spiritual vision. So which makes us put on another mask. So this is a slightly less environmental but more spiritual question. Very nice question. So how do, we, um, how do we remove these masks without being dismissive or without um, maybe having a negative impact on someone else? Because maybe, you know, I would give a lovely example, which is uh, maybe I'm really angry at some point. And I say, well, I'm just being authentic, you know. I'm angry, so I'm going to show my emotions and I'm going to be authentic about it. So therefore... Um, I'm allowed to be dismissive because I'm, I'm really removing the masks. I'm just showing you how I feel. 
But um, the real question is that, um, you remember when we were talking about the clues of how do we know when we're being authentic and when we're not being authentic? And someone said when we're in a state of anger, then we know we're not being authentic at that time. The, the idea of removing the masks or to stop pretending to be someone else is, is more about uh, stop pretending to be someone else with our own selves. Because at every moment, we make a choice whether we are really being, really um, uh, following the values that we have. Because most of the time, we will say something. So I might say, I am a peaceful person, you know, but maybe I don't look like it. But unless I'm, I'm actually walking the talk, unless I'm doing everything that I do uh, with the values, aligning them to my own values. So if I value simplicity, if I value peace, am I really bringing that peace into my existence in my day-to-day -day life? Unless you're aligning your values to everything that you're doing in the world, you're, you're not really uh, removing the mask in a way. So um, if I'm angry, I don't know if I'm making sense here, but if I'm angry, for example, but my, my value, what I most cherish in my life is peace, then I'm not being authentic. And I'm, not, I'm still wearing a mask because if I believe in peace and I'm still being angry, that means there's a dissonance between what I believe in and what I'm being. So unless I come, come back to the experience of uh, the truth that I believe in, experiencing that truth, I'm not really removing the mask, if that makes sense. So authenticity doesn't come from um, you know, doing whatever we want, and doing things how we want, at any time we want. You know? In my generation, at least, people tell me, I'm being authentic, and I'm, you know, if I'm angry, I'm going to get angry at the world. I'm being authentic. But true authenticity comes when I align what I believe in with what I'm saying, what I'm doing, and how I'm... Um, responding and, and interacting with others in that authentic space of my own values. And, and this one is uh, quite an interesting uh, question. This is about cups. Paper. Um, how do we encourage cafes to provide proper cups instead of paper cups? Um, and how do we find the courage to take a stand, it says as well. I, I just wanted to share one thing, because we, we used to run uh, one-day retreats and we used to use paper cups. And one guy always came with his own cup. And I thought that was quite nice. And I have seen somebody go into a coffee shop and actually with their own cup, get them to fill the coffee in their own cup. So that was an answer. Actually, Linda, you, you answered my question because I was going to say um, that uh, we can try to change the cafes with the cups, definitely. And I think that is one way of doing it. And definitely on a collective level, we should, you know, there should be taxes that are put. There should be changes that the coffee shops make themselves. But what if, like Linda said, we were to bring our own cups to the cafes? I like this word that you said, the courage to um, speak to them or take a stand or say something without feeling embarrassed. And um, courage, the word courage, comes from the Latin word cure. And cur in French means heart. When you do something with courage, it means you're doing something wholeheartedly. So you're not just doing it out of fear. But courage is nothing about 
you know, removing your fears or running away from your fears and, you know, facing the world. Courage is about doing something wholeheartedly with your heart because you truly believe in it. And in that space of wholeheartedness, remember we were saying that the opposite of fear is love. When we are in that state of wholeheartedness, then we don't have any, we don't have any embarrassment of believing in something or we're not scared of, of um, what other people's perception is of me bringing my own coffee cup in the coffee shop. But um, in, in a lot of the health shops now, you get these biodegradable uh, coffee cups, or you get these long-term bamboo coffee cups, for example, that you can use and reuse and that don't spill in your bag either, that you can actually take to the, to the shops. But the coffee cup thing is just one, one step. What about what we're doing at home, for example? Are we making that more simple? And I would, I would even go deeper than that because sometimes simplicity uh, doesn't just come from, you know, having that one coffee cup and making things simple for the environment. But what about the simplicity in our minds? Are we caught up in all the, the different type of thoughts that we have in our mind? Are we, um, are we recycling properly our minds, I would say? Are we... Um, are we becoming like the, the coffee cups ourselves, in a sense, as in, uh, are, we, are we letting go of thoughts and biodegrading our thoughts and uh, coming back to simplicity before we look out there in the coffee shops trying to change the world? Are we really even simplifying our own thoughts? For me, the, the step of really um, wanting to make a change in, in that sense would be really to see what type of thoughts am I having? Am I making my thoughts more simple, more uh, biodegrad biodegradable in a way. This is the last one. Um, and this question says, we can change ourselves, but how can we influence other people? I really believe that we can influence other people. Um, and I think that, you know, most of, of authentic leaders in the world, whether it's someone like Mother Teresa or Dali Janki, or the Dalai Lama, all the amazing influencers and the true leaders in the world haven't had to demonstrate and, and protest in the world to influence and change the world. They've done it by just being examples, by being the change that they want to see in the world. As cliche as that sounds, uh, the quote from Gandhi for me is that, um, you know, I can talk to you about peace, but if you don't see me as a peaceful person, you're going to be like, this person is, Romina is talking rubbish to me because she's talking about peace, but I don't feel the peace in her. I don't feel that she's really walking her talk. And when you think about someone like Mother Teresa with her compassion, her goodness, her selflessness, her desire to just give and give and give instead of taking, and her way of being abundant, when you see someone like Dadi Janki who... Um, at every single moment, asks everyone else, and how are you doing, you know? She might be 100 years old, but her inner strength is, is amazing. And when I see people um, meeting Dali Janki, and she can't speak a word of English. I mean, she's, she's not educated. She can't speak English. Um, you know, from an uh, intellectual point of view, people will say, well, there's nothing ins inspiring about her because she's not giving me any intellectual information. But her way of being, her authenticity, that's what touches people. I was in, in Morocco with Dadi Janki last uh, summer, in August. 
Um, I'm originally from Morocco, so we were very lucky. We had Dadi wanting to visit um, Morocco because she felt that it was a country where you know, she wanted to spread the goodness and bring back the goodness in, in the people as well. And literally, we, we were in a room with, with a lot of different people, you know, international people there. And when Dadi spoke at the end of the talk, 90% of the people in the room had tears in their eyes. And she hadn't been spoken in English. And when I looked back at that, I was, I was thinking, what is it about Dadi that touched everyone there? Was it her trying to influence them to be good? Was it her trying to tell them things? And what I realized was that Dadi Janki was just inspiring everyone by the way she was speaking, her love for them, her unconditional love. And, um, and her making everybody... Um, create a sense of belonging. When you meet someone like that, you, you automatically feel like a sense of family with someone like that. So for me, influencing someone, I wouldn't use the word influence. I would use the word inspiring. If we want to inspire people, we, we really need to be the change. We, we need to consider every single human being like part of our family. Sometimes it's difficult to do that because if we're disconnected from ourselves, if we have those dissonances and the duality within us, then we can't really see other human beings as family. We see them as, you know, this person is, um, you know, white, this person is black, this person has this way of thinking, this person's educated or not. But we don't really truly see them as family. But someone like Dadi Janki, someone like Mother Teresa, you know, she would look at you in, in the eyes and all she would see is another spiritual being in front of her. She would say, this person is my brother. This person is my sister. And I love that feeling of belonging. I think every individual in the world is looking to belong to someone or belong to something. And I think the only way we can influence people is making them feel the feeling of belonging. So I would like to invite you for a short um, meditation. Maybe we can ponder on... Um, what we've taken away from the afternoon. Um, perhaps something that we would like to also share with the world for ourselves. Um, so I think most of you have meditated before. But I'd like to invite you to sit very comfortably on your chairs with your feet on the ground. And with your back straight. So comfortable, but not too comfortable that we would fall asleep on a Sunday afternoon or evening. And in uh, Raj Yoga meditation, um, we always invite you to try to keep your eyes open. Because the reason we do that is because we want to integrate uh, contemplation and meditation and peace in our day-to-day -day lives. So it's, it's not about keeping our eyes wide open. But maybe finding a point of contact, a point to look at, you know, or perhaps you want to look at the picture behind me, which is just a point, and it could be that we're looking at ourselves or we're looking at the divine energy, but just finding a point of focus for ourselves and really relaxing ourselves, taking a few deep breaths, gently. Breathing in the oxygen and gently breathing out 
and with every breath I take, I find that my body relaxes and my mind gently slows down. I think back and look back at this afternoon, at everything that I heard, at the things that I shared, perhaps a thought that came up to me. For a moment, I leave those thoughts aside because I've seen, I've heard, I have felt but now I would like to feel and connect to my own self. gently I turn inwards leaving the waves of thoughts on the surface and diving in to my inner world My inner world is me being with myself, removing any masks, any type of expectations that come from outside, or perhaps my own expectations of myself. turn within connecting to my inner being the one who does the thinking the one who feels the one who makes sense of the outer world I connect that inner being that is me
and in that space, I realize that the peace, the feeling of contentment, the feeling of being natural, non-judgmental, are part of the inner me. I may have other thoughts that come into my mind because sometimes when I sit in stillness thoughts that are not part of me thoughts that make me feel not authentic tend to come in sometimes during my meditation but just like clouds I see those thoughts coming and going and with the power of awareness I gently bring back my mind to making that connection with the authentic me. Allowing the ideas and the messages from others to dissolve in those moments. Because when I'm authentic and real, I truly am in a state of peace, of contentment, of being natural. As I look into my inner world, as I connect to me, the spiritual being, I realize that even the natural world, nature, the sea, the countryside, all of that is equally peaceful, gentle. But just like my mind that may get agitated at times, I realize that even the natural world around me can get agitated. And there seems to be a connection 
between how I'm feeling inside and what's happening outside. And somehow, my inner world is a reflection of my outer world. When I bring my awareness back to what's real, what's authentic, then I bring back and shift from a place weakness to a place of unlimited power and this power is not physical power but true inner power and an inner ability to deal with everything that's happening outside Sometimes my own thoughts, my own mind plays tricks on me. And even though I try to energize myself, I seem to forget my own power. And so at that moment, I can explore and experiment connecting with a higher energy, an energy to, that's just like the sun, shining down rays of warmth. and rays of peace towards me. Just like the sun, when I'm looking at it, when I'm looking at the divine sun, I can feel the rays of warmth over me. And that warmth brings a feeling of safety, a feeling of reassurance that I'm not on my own, that I'm completely secure and loved. no matter how broken I can be, 
And sometimes I ask myself, if only I loved myself as unconditionally as the divine energy loves me. Because when I'm in that state of pure, complete love, there is no place for fear. When I truly love myself, I can truly love others. But if I'm in a state of separation with my own inner being, then I will see the world as a world that is separate from me. I've spent years perhaps blocking my emotions or masking what's truly happening inside. But if I spend time with myself understanding what's happening inside yes I would see a lot of things coming up but equally as I connect to the power source I would bring might and light to any situation that may seem challenging Do I really think it's possible to make a shift, to transform, whether it's myself or others? But unless my energy, my battery is not full, I wouldn't be able to serve the world. So my inner journey is about discovering what brings strength for me. What is it that makes me strong? Is it moments of solitude, or perhaps moments where I have authentic conversations with others, where I express myself with like-minded people? As I go into a quest 
to find out how to bring back my own strength and resilience. I realized that it's all about my own thinking. Sometimes I can see things in a limited way. But when I connect to my inner spiritual dimension, I start to realize that I can change everything and anything that I wish to. If I have the intention of truly benefiting myself and the world, then that intention will become a reality. But the question is, do I really want to change? Do I simply want to adapt to what's happening around me? Or do I really want to transition into goodness, benevolence, kindness, As I find that space within me, that is truly peaceful, kind, loving, then I fill myself with these treasures and I'm able to share it, not just with the world, but with nature itself. And I realize that it's finding the harmony, harmony with myself, harmony with the others, and harmony with the divine energy that truly the world can become a more beautiful and kinder place. I think about what I'd like to take away. with me. What inner change would I like to bring within myself? A change in my thinking perhaps. change 
in my attitude perhaps or even just an intention but that first thought will lead me to a positive change is there something within me that I want to transform so that I can bring back even more goodness and more love in my own life When I shift from within, when I move from fear to love, true, unconditional, authentic love, then I move into a world that would reflect back that love to me. Today I make that choice of choosing the three things I perhaps value the most. whether the three things are peace or wisdom or kindness or happiness but I choose them for myself I choose to bring them into my experience into my practical life I make that choice from inside the moment I make that choice the moment I have that intention I will see all of that in my own life in my interactions and in the collective world that we live in. I take a few deep breaths, breathing in the oxygen, breathing in the light, and breathing out all that is unnecessary. All that may be weighing on me, I breathe it out. I breathe in the lightness and I breathe out the heaviness I breathe in the kindness and I breathe out and very very gently when I feel ready 
When I want to, I gently come back to this room, come back to this space. Thank <laughs> you.